and welcome to Portraits of Grief Podcasts. Your host today, and always, Tiffany Bernal and licensed clinical social worker, Tara Storm. Together, we are a griever and a therapist who make up Portraits of Grief podcast and community. We are grateful that you have taken time out of your day today to check us out, to take a listen. We know that grief and loss is a really hard thing to go through and deal with. We've been there. We know it ourselves. We started this community and podcast as a space to hopefully bring light, community, and connection to others who are going through it. You're not alone in your grief and your loss. So by bringing on special guests, talking more about grief journeys and stories, we hope that after listening today, you will feel a little bit more empowered, a little bit more comforted, and a little bit more just like you're not alone in your journey. So thanks for tuning in, and here we go. Welcome back to Portraits of Grief Podcasts. We are joined today by another special guest, Patricia De Picciotto. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I want to first start off by sharing with listeners a little bit more about you. You were born in Hong Kong from Lebanese parents and raised in Geneva, Switzerland, until you graduated from college with a BA in marketing and communications. You spent a couple of years in London to study for your GIA, which is the graduate gemologist, and worked in the jewelry industry. You lived in Brazil for 10 years where you met your now husband and have and had three kids and founded a jewelry line named Pasha. You packed up your family and moved to New York City over five years ago where you became an art guide in the city. You're joined today to talk to talk to us more about um, your grief journey uh, since your mother's passing after a two-year battle with pancreatic cancer. You are now dedicated to helping to talk and normalize grief and raise grief consciousness through your online Instagram project and beyond called Nishama Journey. So thank you. I feel like giving you a little round of applause. <laughs> thank you for um, coming. Yeah. Thank you so much for introducing me this way. Thank you for having me today. I know we spoke previously because you came on one of my lives on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm glad to be able to share my journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we hand the baton to you, Patricia, Tara, do you have anything you want to say? The only thing I, I just like this past week, I was I was speaking with someone, um, the the regional director of like the Gold Star program for the military. And he said, Tara, you're like the only person I know that when I met you, your eyes lit up. Most people run away from grief. Most people just head the opposite way because they're so uncomfortable. But you your eyes light up and you have a passion about it. So just it, it sounds weird to have a passion about grief, but I'm a passion about grief. I have a passion about talking about it and not leaving it in the shadows or trying to push it down but you know giving people and our listeners and lovely people that come on for interviews um, a voice and so that we can connect through um, shared emotions so all right so patricia i mean you're joining us today um to tell us more about your grief journey and story and so go ahead we want to hear you know walk us back to uh you know your grief story and what it's been like for you Thank you. It, it really started, I have to say, when my mom got the first diagnosis. I think that was the first shock because she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And unfortunately, that's one of the cancer where, you know, the mortality, mortality rate is so high that 
the day she told us that they found a tumor on her pancreas, even though the surgeon was going to be able to remove it surgically, we, you know, we still got very scared because chances were very low. And this started in January, 2018. And unfortunately it happened a month after my mom's husband. So my stepfather got his final diagnosis. He had been battling cancer for over three years. And in December, 2017, the doctor just told him that, you know, any other treatment would be too tiring for him. Like he wouldn't have any quality of life. And I think at that point he decided that he was done trying. So that was the first major shock. And a month later, knowing that my mom was going to be a widow, she had that diagnosis on top of it. It was really brutal, but we just, you know, kept going, kept fighting. And she had her first surgery. It was successful. She had her first round of chemo, which was successful as well. And she had a little remission. I'm, I'm not going to say she was in remission because she just really had a break where her oncologist told her, okay, now for the next three months, you're just going to have, you know, a normal life. You're going to enjoy and you come back in three months for a PET scan. And fortunately, her husband passed that week. Mm. So it wasn't, you know, Obviously, it wasn't a relaxable, you know, relaxing break. Yeah. She was extremely sad, as you can imagine, losing her husband and dealing with her own disease. Because I don't know if you felt that way, but when you lose someone that is so close, you're kind of faced with your own mortality. You're kind of faced with the fact that things can happen, and you can either, you know, get this terminal diagnosis or just a sudden accident, something, you're just much more aware of your own mortality. And I think, you know, it became even more present in my mom's case because she knew she had cancer, even though she had these like three months of grace where her doctor told her, you're, you're okay, you know, no more tumor. She knew, she knew it was, you know, a battle that she had not won yet. And unfortunately, the, the tumor came back three months later. And at the next, the following PET scan, she had, you know, she had that bad news. And from that moment on, that was November 2018 until November 2019, it was just another very long battle with, with the disease. And I don't know how she did it, you know, grieving her husband, but also wanting to leave having to, you know, fight the disease, but also, you know, realizing that these things happen, you die from cancer. And she actually, you know, witnessed this with her mom as well. So those two years were, were difficult. They were full of, you know, ups and downs and, and I would say anticipatory grief as well, because when you have a loved one that has, you know, the, the, this kind of sickness or terminal sickness, you're always you know waiting anxiously on the next doctor appointment the next exam the next test like what's going to be the next news and you can never really relax and when she had um the news of her metastasis in the liver that was six months after in, in june 2019 
although her oncologist and and we got a second opinion they came up with a plan it it was hard to keep our our hopes very high and i think at that moment I got really, really scared that I was going to lose my mom. And I'm not going to say I started grieving at that moment. I think I really started grieving when her doctor told me that there was nothing left they could do. But you start to think about how is life going to be, you know, after, after she's gone. And it's not, it's not an easy place to be in because you want her to fight. You want her to be hopeful and she was every time you know the, the oncologist would come with a new treatment she'd say okay let's do it okay another round of chemo okay let's try this so she was always up for everything she wanted to live she wanted to be there to see my kids grow and her other grandkids you know they were adults but you know she wanted to be there for everyone and unfortunately that last treatment left her extremely weak and she was prone to infection. She got an infection in, the, in one of her hospital stay. And that was the beginning of the end. After that, for three months, it was just, you know, downhill until one day the, the doctor just asked me to talk to me outside of her room, her hospital room. I'll always, you know, I'll always remember that day because I would just like hang out in pajamas in her hospital room. I would sleep with her. And she was sleeping and he came in and I told him, she's sleeping. Do you want to come later? And he told me, no, I actually want to talk to you. And at that second, I kind of understood that, you know, it was not a good news because otherwise, you know, he would have to, yeah, I'll come back, you know, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll wait for her to wake up. And the second he asked me to follow him outside of the room because he needed to talk, I knew it was bad news. And really when he pronounced the words there's nothing left we can do you need to call your family you need to make those phone calls I just felt like my world collapsed but in a split second and I don't know how you know how the brain react but in a split second I froze I went back in my mother's room she was still sleeping I was able to you know look for my phone and leave the room again without her noticing doing all the phone calls without even shedding a tears because i didn't want to go back in the room and i didn't want to face my mom you know with all this emotion and all this fear on my face so something happened and i'll, I'll never be able to explain this but i think i froze i think everything went either numb or in shock but i was able to go back pick my phone leave the room call my husband, call my two sisters, and even face my mother's friend who had just, had just stopped by for a visit. And she was like, hi, how's your mom? She's like, yeah, she was sleeping. Maybe she woke up, let's check. And I just went back to my mom's room with her friend and we spent the afternoon as if nothing had happened. And I asked the doctor, I'm like, please, I am not gonna tell her this news. Like, I'm gonna make the phone call for the family, but, you'll be the one telling her. Like, I cannot just tell my mom that it's over. Like, she's been fighting. She's been trying all those treatments. She did all the, you know, all the therapy she, she needed to do. She, she followed the diet she had to follow. And I just cannot crush all her hope. 
you know, I cannot do it. And he's like, don't worry. It's not your job. I will announce it. And, and they have, I think, therapists in the hospital that, you know, they, they come with the doctor and they talk to the patient. So he told me I'll come back tomorrow and I'll have the conversation. But I had to spend 24 hours with that excruciating news without being able to share it with my mom. And I think at some point that night, I just, you know, started crying absolutely uncontrolled. I couldn't control myself. My mom was sleeping. I just left her room and I called my husband and I just had to let it all out because I was slowly, you know, starting to process that news, you know, it's like, it's over. And when I asked the doctor, I'm like, but when, like how many days, weeks, it's like, we don't know. But because my sisters live in Switzerland and I live in New York, he told me, but you know, tell your sister to come and say goodbye. Cause we don't know how long it will be. And it's terrible. And it's, I think this is when, you know, anticipatory grief starts when you know that it's really over. And this is when, you know, hope dies actually. Yeah. It's a surreal feeling. Is that how you would describe Absolutely. it? Absolutely. The death of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like really one of those things that you hear in movies and you hear about, but you can't believe it's actually happening to you, you know? Did I'm curious, and this might sound like a weird question, but have you revisited those moments with your sisters? Did they say, Patricia, you were like a stone, you were stone cold? You didn't no, because to- my sisters were not there. They were in Geneva. I, do you know what happened? I had to make all those calls so quickly because I knew my mom was going to wake up and she was expecting visits that afternoon from friends. So I needed to like call everyone very quickly, not to get involved in the emotions. Like, because one of my sisters started crying. The other one started like not screaming. She's like, it's not possible as the doctor, you know, she started freaking out. So everyone had a different reaction. And I just couldn't let myself go there. I cannot go into panic mode. I cannot go into crying mode. I cannot go into fear mode. I just need to, you know, be here in the now because in five minutes I need to go back to the room and my mom's going to be there. And then I need to act as if nothing had happened because I didn't want to be the messenger. I just didn't want to be the one having the conversation with her. But I ended up being in the room when the doctor told her the news because she asked me to be there. So when the doctor came and the therapist came, I think my mom, you know, she obviously understood that it wasn't good news as well. So she asked the doctor to to call me. I was in the hallway and she asked for me to be present. And I have to say that that minute will be forever in my memory because I just remember entering her room and seeing the expression of sadness on her face. Like she understood. She just, she, she knew. And I looked at her and I'm like, I'm sorry. I know he told me yesterday and she said, I won't be here for your son's bar mitzvah. So I have three boys who are Jewish. So my boys do um, bar mitzvah, which is like a religious, you know, communion at 13 years old. And I think that's the moment where I started crying. I had all those tears for the past, you know, 24 hours. And although like I cried with my husband on the phone the night before, 
I had this terrible expectation of how my mom would react. And it was a very painful moment. And this year, definitely I, revis I revisited that day because on October 31st, November 1st, I was, I, I was very sad. Like I, I, I replayed the whole scene in my head over and over. Like the doctor announcing me, you know, seeing the look on my mom's face and it's Halloween, right? Like it's supposed to be a fun day. And I told the doctor, like, you ruined Halloween for me. I always that's, look forward to that day. That's an anniversary for you. Like a lot of, we have anniversary yes. of death, birthday, and you have an anniversary of that day. Yeah, of that day, of that diagnosis. But do you know what happened the next day? So something happened in the next day on November 1st, right? And one of my very good friends lives in Mexico. And on, they celebrate the Dia de los, de los Muertos. And she posted something on Instagram. It was a beautiful altar for her aunt and for her grandparents. And, you know, she, she wrote something beautiful about each one of them. And I said, you know what? Maybe that anniversary, which, as you say, is an, for me, it's an anniversary. It was the first day. It was the beginning of the end. It was the first day of, of, of grief, you know, first day of, preparing myself to a life without my mom. And I said to myself, I will have to turn this anniversary into a celebration of the dead, just like they do in their culture, because I don't want to have that day in my mind forever, you know, set with like a bad news. So this year, I have to say that I was not in the mood. I I wasn't well at all. It was also my first year. So this year was the first everything. First birthdays, first holidays without her, first anniversary. I hope that this year it, it will be a little bit different. Like I will be able to celebrate her life versus celebrating, you know, the death and, and the bad news. And, you know, the day we got the diagnosis of the cancer, the day we got, you know, the the final diagnosis. So, I mean, I'm still in that grief journey, even though it's been 15 months, it still feels very recent. And I know I went through all the first. Some people say that the first are the hardest. Maybe they are. I know it wasn't easy for me at all. Every, you know, milestones and birthdays and holidays were, were tough. I, I tried to have zero expectation on myself for those days mm. and, and we'll see this year how it's going to be. Yeah. Have you seen some, have you seen the movie Coco? Yes. Yeah. That it's great. Yeah. You seen it, Tiffany? I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. The great explanation of that. Yes. Um, but I had forgot, but, I, but I had, you know, I had not thought of, I had not, you know, think about that movie after, but when I saw the post of my friend in Mexico, I was like, yes, they really celebrate, you know, the, the loved one that have passed. And maybe one day for Halloween or November 1st, I'll be able to, you know, celebrate the people instead of like celebrating 
not not celebrating, but remembering, you know, I think it could be bad news. It could be both, you know, it, it yeah. could be a celebration and just um that's so traumatic. It's almost like even if you don't want to remember, your body will remember before yes. your head does, right? Like there may yeah. be let's say you're super busy. I'm sure as you get close to that date for the rest of your life, you'll for sure. you'll feel it, right? Um, you know. I really just want to say thank you for going into so much detail about that moment. Um, I think we focus so much on the loss and the funeral and we, we look at that and what I hear and when I work with clients one on one is they share the moment when they they hear the news and that's almost mm -hmm. more impactful and upsetting then then they go into like robotic go mode right yeah. without the planning and writing the memorial pieces and um but what i also want to share is that what i also hear is folks that are on the receiving end from the phone call from the sister or the uncle mm -hmm. or the stepfather who's like your mom died and then they're off to the next call and for them it's a very dramatic way that they received a short phone call mm -hmm. and what i want to share with them is that I've talked to someone who's made that call and they have so many to make and they're in go mode that they don't mm -hmm. mean to be short. It's just, they're trying to keep it together and they don't exactly they can't hold space for your emotions in that moment because yeah. now I'm hearing both sides just with you sharing this. I think it's really powerful. And, and really something happened with the brain. It, it freezes, it freezes like something oh. happened because yeah. If I was on the other side of the phone, and I, I've been once, right? Like the day that my sister announced me that my mom had a tumor, I spent the whole day crying, like the whole day. I remember because my, okay, so my mom was on, okay, Brazilian time, time, time zone. My sister were in Europe. I was in New York. So by the time my mom went to the doctor and he told her about, you know, the tumor, she called my sisters. I was still sleeping. It was still very early in New York. So I woke up with like so many missed goals from oh my, my sisters, God. from my mom. And you talk about trauma. I will tell you after about my, my phone trauma. I, I seriously had trauma from getting messages in the morning. Like I would wake up in the morning, almost scared to look at my phone because oh. when you wake up with so many phone missed goals, you know, something happened, right? And then on, I didn't even have the time to open my phone on the front page, you know, I just saw like my sister's message, please call me, uh, mom went to the doctor, they found a tumor on her pancreas, they might be able to remove it, call me. And when I saw this message, I, I was in shock. I, I didn't know what I didn't even know what to do, what to say, who to call. I didn't want to call my mom because I would burst into tears. So I called my husband and I called my sister. I couldn't talk with my sister. So my husband talked to my sister because he was like getting the news. And then when I started, you know, calming down, I called my mom, but then I started crying again. And then I cried for the whole day. So I can only imagine how both of my sisters reacted that day. But as you say, I had to keep it together. I had my mom like right there, five right there I mean, sleeping oof. and i just couldn't you know show one tear on my face and 
she had those friends, you know, that were expected to come that afternoon to yeah. visit because my mom was supposed to be just, you know, at the hospital resting because she had this terrible infection. So at that point, we thought, okay, she got the infection. She got very weak. She needs time and care because her immunity, you know, is on, you know, rock bottom. So she needs all this hospital care for her to, you know, be able to fight that infection. But we never thought that the cancer had spread during this short period of time and that it was over. So everyone was very optimistic and, you know, friends would visit, you know, just to, just to make company and make her feel better. So I never thought about getting this news on that day. And I have to say, I came with like a very small suitcase, suitcase to visit my mom, just like a carry on. Cause I thought I would spend like a few days and then she would be released and she would go back home. And no, we spent three weeks in the hospital until she passed, but I was really not prepared. So just to go back to, you know, what you say about the people that get the news, I'm sure it was a shock for my sisters, the same way it was a shock the day I received my mom, you know, cancer diagnosis, but there's something in your brain and you cannot go there. It's just, it blocks every single emotion that you I can have so because you cannot go there shake. i bet there's so many people are nodding their head right now just knowing yeah like yep i experienced that and again you don't know what that is until you experience it yeah yeah i guess exactly. also patricia like it might just be me but my recollection of 2019 and 2020 is that there were quite a few famous people who died from pancreatic cancer mm-hmm did, were you following the news and like seeing some of the um, celebrity? Did, were you aware of that or did you, was that shocking for you? To, I'm, and I'm not going to name, name, I'm just wondering if, if that resonates with you at all. I don't know about the celebrities, but, but I always heard something about, oh, liver cancer. Okay. If it's the liver, it's, it's over. Like if it's a pancreas, it's over. Like that's one of the things. You know, I always heard about cancer. And yes, I do remember some celebrity, like I think Steve Jobs had liver cancer. Michael Landon had pancreatic cancer. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. You always hear, you know, you know, people dying from pancreatic cancer, but definitely when she had metastasis in her liver, like when they said the word liver, I'm like, okay, it's, it's over. Like it's game over. And she still went through, you know, that last round of, of treatments, but the chances are so low, but you don't want to face the fact that it can be over until someone really tell you it's over. And for me, I think the day that I got the news was probably even more shocking than the day she passed because I was expecting her to pass during those three weeks. I didn't know it was going to be three weeks, but Every single day, you're like, yeah, you're like, it can be today. Is it going to be tonight? Like you wake up in the morning and she's like, okay, she's still here. Okay, one more day. And you leave with that expectation. You don't know when it's going to happen. And because I had lost my stepfather previously and I was there with him in his last days, I kind of knew how the last 24, 48 hours would look like, which was not the case for my sisters. So he prepared me for what I was going to go through with my mom in the last days. 
And it wasn't as shocking for me as it was for my sisters who were witnessing this for the first time. So definitely the shock for me was the shock of that, of that news, of that there's nothing left we can do news. Because it's just yeah. heartbreaking too, because she was grieving her husband yes. to go through this. Like it's, it, it feels so unfair. It just so unfair. And to have the three months to live a normal life, a normal life doesn't include grieving yeah. your husband. No, no, for him, for the doctor, when he told him, we didn't told her you have three months. He was like, you have three months, go enjoy you know, travel, visit your family. He knew he had three daughters, you know, outside of Brazil. So he's like, just go and travel and don't worry about anything. And, you know, get some, you know, strength again, like maybe gain some weight and, you know, just go back to a little bit more active life. And of course she didn't, I mean, she knew he had only a few months to leave, but as I said, we never know how many weeks or months, you know, a person has left. So it's only when she passed that I could understand what she had been through when he died. And actually, I, I could only imagine. I, I, it's not that I could understand. I could imagine what she was going through because, you know, you can never really, you know, feel what the other person went through we always say that right that each loss is so unique and each grief is unique so i i don't know i don't even know how she was dealing with her grief at that moment i think she had those compartmentalize two, it almost you know exactly yeah. to compartmentalize her brain it's like okay let's focus on you know myself and mm -hmm. and my cancer and grieving my husband i don't know how she managed that and I was really not able to understand until she passed. And then I really sympathized with what she had gone through. But I also felt so bad that I was not able to understand, you know, her grief. And we talk about it so much. And I'm sure you talk about it as well on your podcast. But you can only really understand how it feels like when you go through through a loss as well i you know i had friends before me who had lost a parent and i would try to be you know compassionate and present but nothing like i am now now that i know how it is to lose a mom you that's just don't we, understand the pain that's why we make casseroles for people because we yeah. don't know we're like i i'll make food because i don't yeah. know what you're going through right yeah, i don't know what you're going through but here's, here's some meal Right. Yeah. What was your mom's name, Patricia? I feel like we need to honor her and say her name out loud. Jelly. What is it? Jelly. 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 Yes. Pretty. Um, I'm curious when she passed away because obviously I've I've gone through mother loss as well, and it's so hard to see your mom going through cancer. Did you when she passed? Did you feel any type of like peace come over you just from you not ha having to see her suffer anymore, or was that not the case for you? I did. I have to say that I did, but it didn't last. Right. I thought I would be at peace, especially the, the last weeks. The last weeks were, were really so hard on her because I think that when you're fight, okay, when you're in a fighting mode, you're still, you know, very optimistic. You want to leave. The second the doctor 
tells you it's over, there's no reason to fight anymore. There's no reason to eat. There's no reason to like force yourself to swallow a meal because what's the point? You're going to die, right? There's no reason to like try to walk with the therapist because anyway, you're not going to walk anymore. So I saw her decline after the news. I mm -hmm. think there, there's something, you know, in your, in your brain where, where you're like, okay, what's the point? I only have a few days, weeks. I'm not going to put like all my energy in this. I'm just going to stay in bed. So I saw that she declined the last three weeks, but she had her 70th birthday coming up. And that's something that she wanted to live for. And I remember her telling me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my antibiotic. I'm going to take any pill they want to give me. I'm, I'm going to be there on November 17th. But on November 18th, I'm done. Like she, she, she told me, like we had that conversation. I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm, I'm done trying to be present. I'm done trying to, you know, make effort to talk. I'm just done. And November 18th was really the last day she was able to talk. November 19th, that was a Tuesday morning. You could see she was agitated. She was in pain. And that's when they started morphine. And she was sedated then for three, four days until she passed. So there's definitely a connection between the mind and the body. You know, when you're still hopeful, it, it gives you that strength like to carry on. But when someone, you know, crushes your hope, you're like, okay, then what's the point? So she still had that birthday coming up and it's crazy because we've spent years, you know, like thinking about like what we're going to do for the 70th birthday. Should we go on a cruise? Should we go on a trip with the family? Should we do this? Should we do that? And at the end, we were able to throw like a little party in her hospital room. You know, the hospital brought a cake. A friend of her brought a cake. They, they put some balloons. You know, she got some flowers from France. Uh, one of the nurse, you know, who played the guitar and sang, it was beautiful, you know, she had people around her, but after that, and I knew, and I knew she would give up after that and it happened. So yeah, the last days were, you know, we were, we were seeing her suffering, but like wanting to be there. And I don't know if you, really, when you witness someone's last hours you really want them to to rest you're like okay it's enough enough suffering enough you know not being able to breathe and and also when when i remember her on that hospital bed it wasn't her anymore it wasn't her body it wasn't just it wasn't her so there was yes a part of me that wanted her to rest but I didn't want her to rest too soon. Like I wish I had, you know, more month where we could have all this conversation. And also I never thought she would rest forever. Like you don't realize that it's forever. You're like, okay, so now she's not suffering anymore. That's great news. And what? It's forever. Like that's it. And it takes, I don't know, a few days or maybe like a week or so to realize that no, take me back to the hospital. I preferred when I was in the hospital with my mom, you know, barely speaking or barely eating and barely walking, but at least, you know, I was with her and we could have, you know, just small talks and, and I could feel her and I could see her. So definitely there was a relief, 
But after a few days or maybe a week, I was like, no, 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 take me back. I know she was in pain, but you know, we were still together. Yeah, so still alive it's a feelings. It's, it's terrible because in that moment where she's in pain, you're like, okay, this has to end. And when it ends, you're like, no, 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 it cannot end now. Like, no, take me back. So it, it's the duality of wanting them to be at peace and wanting them with us. And I think even now after 15 months, you know, I still think about that. Yeah. That was very okay. well said. <laughs> yeah, I was just... Can you tell us a little bit about your mom from like one of your favorite childhood memories about your mom? It kind of lets us know more like her personality. Yeah. So my mom her. was, yeah, no, she was definitely like a very social, very talkative person. She was always dressed to the nine from like 7 a.m. to the morning until nighttime. She was, you know, always very energetic and she loved people. She loved like talking to people. She loved being around people. And she was very present as a mom. And I tried to be the same for my kids because when you ask me about my favorite memories, I have so many. But one thing I used to love was to see my mom waiting for me at the bus stop. She always had a snack. She always had something in her hands. And I remember just my mom waiting for me after school or waiting for me at the bus stop, waiting for me, you know, at pickup after, you know, an after school or a ski lesson or ice skating lesson. She was just very present. And also I was the youngest sibling. So my sisters are 10 years older than me. So when I was a toddler or just a little kid, my sisters were a teenager. So my mom had, you know, a lot of, time on her hand to be with me because all my sisters wanted was to be with their friends and they were busy with school. So I just remember my mom being very present for me. Wow. And also my parents got a divorce when I was 14 and both of my sisters were already um, married. So I, I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with my mom during my childhood, during my teenage years. And then I lived in Brazil with her for 10 years. So we grew very, very, very close. And she was lucky enough to see, you know, the birth of my three, three sons. She was extremely present. Probably every day she would come by and see them and help me with, you know, the bottles and just the feeding and taking them to the pediatrician. And I'm just trying to be as present as I can. I have three boys that are, you know, I mean, when I had my three boys, they were like under four. So now they're, they each have two years, you know, age difference. So I had three most, I mean, almost at the same time. So I cannot be as present for the three of them as she was just with me. But I feel like it's important to have those moments, you know, at bedtime or at dinner time where, you know, they will remember that I was there for them and to listen to them or you know if they wanted to talk about school or if they wanted to talk about something before bedtime i really hope they will they will remember this because i remember this from my mom that she was 
very much present even you know when i was older and i would like go out with friends and then i would come back even at 2 a.m or 3 a.m i could wake up <laughs> i would wake her up and i would like just tell her about all the gossip of the night and all the drama and all like the boyfriend girlfriend best friends drama and she would listen and you know i just hope i will be able to have this with my own kids because it's it stayed with me oh that made me tear up <laughs> i know me too your mom just sounds like a wonderful wonderful woman yeah and like your best friend you know in a, in a way and she was my best friend yeah. and you know for years i was like i don't i don't need like all these best friends like i have my mom and you know she knew everything about all my stories even some of my friends you know that didn't have that relation with their mom mm -hmm. they would come to my house they would have sleepover and they would tell my mom about their their boyfriend drama and you know their their she was story. mama bear mama bear for everyone <laughs> she was yeah. yes no definitely was and a lot of my friends rem remember her like this way and you know i i really hope i'll be able to have this relation with with my kids like for now they're still young but I want them to know that I'm here for them and that I will listen whatever, you know, they want to tell me. And I hope they, they will open up, you know, I mean, now they're young, but I'm saying, you know, when they're teenagers right. and, and they'll go with, you know, with all the drama that teenagers bring, I hope they'll be able to trust me with those stories. So now in motherhood, um, like, how do you honor your mom? I know it's been about, what, a year and a half with your own sons. Do you mm -hmm. um, just make it a point to talk about her still a lot? It sounds like she was so present in their lives. So I'm yeah. just curious how that is for you guys. No, we do, we do talk about her a lot. Uh, I have, you know, picture on my desk. I have picture on my, on my um, bedtime table. Kids have picture in their room. And my mom used to draw a lot. And in my kids' playroom, I've put all of her drawings. So they see her drawings, you know, every day, probably. And I'm a very bad cook, I have to confess. <laughs> I was never a good cook, but my mom was really, really amazing. So I'm making an extra effort, I have to say, in that past year to like bake with my kids or do something special because I, I want them to remember what my mom used to bake with them. So I'm kind of like taking that place now where I'm the one, you know, baking birthday cake and, you know, baking bread on Fridays. So I'm just trying to do this to honor my mom. And every time we make something, they always say, oh, I wish, you know, Mami Shelly would be here to see us or I wish she would, I don't know, she would just, you know, see us she would be so proud especially because she knew i wasn't good or interested in cooking so this is a way we colored a lot last year i have to say that this year less but last year after she passed i was in coloring and painting mode i think i i brought back so many of my mom's art supplies that i spent very large amount of time at the beginning coloring and painting i couldn't do much really the first weeks were a blur i didn't want to see anyone i didn't want to talk to anyone i really wanted to be home and colored so my kids would sit with me in the playroom and color with me i'm i'm not gonna say that i'm past that because i still 
color a lot with them, but not as much as I did last year. I think last year I would spend days coloring. I couldn't do anything else. I felt like that was my connection with my mom. Like I wanted to hold her markers and hold her pencils and, and, you know, try to, to, to feel her. So this is also one activity that I used to do with my kids and we pray at night and there's this Jewish prayers that, you know, we say before bedtime. And when someone passes, you, you say a shorter prayer with the name of the person and that's for the elevation of the soul to heaven and usually you say this prayer for a month or six months or a year it really depends on the relation but we've been saying it now for you know over 15 months and i just want my kids to keep on saying this and i hope they'll never stop and who knows if you know if they can remember her for a minute a day I feel like it it will have an impact on them, you know, because it, they won't forget her. And I hope they won't because I lost my grandmother when I was 12. I, of course, have memories, but they're not as vivid. Maybe because my mom, you know, didn't make the effort to make her so present all the time, like I'm doing now. But I just want them to be able to remember her, even if it's like a minute a day in that prayer, I want them to say her name. And just by saying those few words, I hope they won't, you know, I'm not going to say forget her because I know they won't forget, but I hope they will have her, you know, in their mind a little bit more present than just in memories that might fade with time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share the prayer with us? Oh, it's in Hebrew, but we say uh, and that means elevation of the soul. And then we say the name of the person and that follows the prayer that is also in Hebrew before bedtime. So it's, it's a long prayer and I don't uh, think my head is good enough to share, but definitely Sounds yeah, beautiful. those few words are very symbolic because it makes you say the name. And I feel like we maybe don't say our loved one's name so often. And by saying their name every day, at least for me, you know, it it just makes her present with her, with us every day. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of wonderful quotes on your online community at Neshama. That's how I pronounce it, right? Journey? Yeah. Um, one of them that stood out to me, I wrote it down. In grief, there is no uh, moving on from your loss. You move forward. So for you, yeah. like, how have you moved forward? And any tips or advice of how, what to share to others of just how to really kind of he try to heal and move forward? So I think move forward is just, you know, taking it one day at a time and one step at a time. I I still get angry, by the way, but I, I used to get really angry when people would say, oh, it's time to move on, turn the page. You know, it's like my mom passed in November 22nd, 2019. Okay. So I remember for New Year's Eve, you know, uh, 2020, I I would hear people say, okay, I hope this year, you know, you'll be able to be happy. I hope this year, you know, you'll turn the page. And I'm like, my mom passed six weeks ago. 
2020 is not going to be a happy year, you know, and that's something that we need to talk about when we talk about supporting grievers. There's no turning the page. There's no moving on. There's no, you know, forgetting. And that's really a message that we need to spread out for people that haven't, you know, experienced a loss. So moving forward for me, it's really taking it one day at a time, like knowing that there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, maybe you're going to see a very bright light and maybe you're going to see some rays of light, but the darkness in which you sit in the first weeks or first month are not going to last forever. And I think this is also a message of hope that when you're in the early, early stages of grief, you think you're going to be like this forever. But if you just keep on, you know, on, on going and keep on moving. And for me, it, for example, because we're talking about my kids for two months, I wasn't able to go to school and drop my kids off to school or pick them up. Why? Because I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to say hi to people at school. I didn't want people to ask me, how are you? I didn't want to say I'm fine. And I didn't want to engage in conversation. And I didn't want to hear any small talk. But after two months, it was my birthday and my kids wanted me to pick them up from school. So I say, okay, I'm going to go today. And I went to school. I had to face a few people. I had to say, okay, thank you. Happy birthday. And then I went again and again and again. And I started, you know, engaging a little bit more with the people. Not that I was enjoying it. I was almost thankful when, you know, school closed on March 12th because I was like, okay, great. Now no more pick up and drop off. I don't need to talk to anyone for another, I don't know how many months, but this is what I'm talking about. You know, when I say moving forward, it's even like when you're going back to work, it's going to be hard. Just, you know, just try. And for me at the beginning, it was coloring and walking. Those were the only two activities I was able to do for two months. I would go outside and walk and when i was in the park i would see people around and at first it was so painful because you you see these people and you're like wow it looks like their life you know is doing great and their world hasn't stopped they look happy in the park and actually you don't know what's going on in other people's life you know but because your world stopped you know you think that everyone else's world has stopped but it <laughs> It hasn't so at first I was looking at them and I'm like okay maybe the world hasn't stopped maybe you know I will have to carry on so it started like this with just me going to the park every day and you know I was like okay my world is still turning and I still have kids at home I still have a job I still have you know things to go back to and I'm gonna respect myself it's gonna take the time I need, I'm not going to rush back to it, but you know, one step after the other, I'm going to try to go back to a new normal. And it's funny because now everyone's talking about the new normal because of COVID, but pre COVID for me, the new normal was trying to live a life without my mom, trying to socialize with people, which I didn't know how to do anymore, because as I say, engaging into small talk work, were painful. Like I didn't want to hear about this conversation. I was not interested, but now I have to say 15 months, you know, into my grief, 
I'm able to be with others and and you see me on Instagram I'm I'm having full conversation and I know all the conversations that are about grief but you know I'm just back on on track and I think that it's because I was very easy on myself in the first weeks but you know keeping in the back of my mind that I'm making a conscious decision that I will continue to leave. And at some point, you know, I will have to go back, take care of my kids, take care of myself, go back to my job, you know, go back to reading about, I was working in the art world. So go back to you know, reading articles about, you know, the art world and, and maybe go back to the museum, but it will take time. But just keeping this in mind, and this for me is moving forward. It's not just turning the page and like, okay, this is like a chapter of, of, in my life that is gone because it's not. For me, it's really, okay, let's, let's look into the future. There might be, you know, a brighter future one day, but I'm just going to get there, you know, one step at a time and one day after the other. That's amazing that you've really been able to give yourself permission to go at a pace that makes, that's an honest pace for you. Yeah. Um, because so but I was also very lucky because I was, I worked for myself. I'm an art guide. So when I came back to New York after my mom passed, it was December and January, February, usually it's freezing cold here. No one wants to visit galleries. No one wants to go to museum there. I mean, New York don't have as many tourists as in the spring or in the fall. So I just say to myself, I'm going to take those months off and I'll be back in the spring. And then when spring started, you know, we had, you know, a lockdown, we had a shelter in place. At first we thought it was for two weeks. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take those two weeks and, you know, enjoy that I don't need to go back to work. And now it's been what, a year and I, and I haven't been back to work. So I was giving the time also. I, I, I gave myself permission to take those two, three months, but I was also given a time that, you know, I might not have given myself right, right. if COVID had not started, but because we were home, I just decided to go with my flow. And that was, you know, sitting with my grief, reading those grief books, listening to the grief podcast, going for walks. And that's when I actually started my Instagram account because, you know, I was, I was reading all those stories and listening to, to, to people on the podcast and that was so helpful. It just felt, you know, less lonely to know that other people were going through grief as well. And I'm not even talking about COVID where we're listening to like death cases every day. I'm really talking about listening to other people grief. Sometimes, you know, early stages of grief. Sometimes they, you know, they lost someone 10 years before, but you can always relate to something in their story and it validates your own grief but it, it gets lonely and probably because of the shelter in place at that moment because i was home and my family was in switzerland and i couldn't see them visit them i i needed something more and this is when i looked for a grief support group online i i found something on on facebook and I started, you know, having like those conversation with people, with other motherless daughters. And I'm like, wow, I'm not alone. So many people right now at the same moment are going through grief. And 
I thought I was alone, but I'm not. It's just that we're not talking about this. Right, and right, that, right. We're nodding know, our I heads st- over here like, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and so then true. I started that brief account, you know, on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, let's use this hashtag. I'm going to look for, you know, motherless daughter's account. And I'm going to, you know, look into motherless, you know, support group. And I just started having this conversation with people first in the comments, then in DM, then we would video chat. And I thought we need to make those conversation, you know, live for everyone, because if it's helping me, if it's helping you, imagine how many people it can help just like a podcast, right? Just like when you write a book and you put your story out, wishing that, you know, it's going to be inspiring for someone. It's going to be someone's guide one day. And that's how I started, you know, the lives. And now it's been almost nine months. I had 50 lives. So that's a lot of stories that people shared and, you know, so many inspiring experiences of, you know, grief and, you know, overcoming pain and moving forward. Because when you hear these people, they were all at the same stage when, you know, when we lost our loved one, like we were in despair, we were in pain, we were crying, we were numb, we were in shock. But here they are, you know, able to talk about it, able to help others going a similar situation. So that for me was, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel to see that these people acknowledge that grief is forever and that you will need to learn and live with that pain but that you'll be able to move forward and to continue to have a decent life, like a new normal and, and, and live with it. And for me, it was really a healing process because it's, it's like shifting a veil. You know, you think you're alone, you're in grief, and then you have this whole dimension of grievers that talk about loss and death, and it makes you feel seen. That's why I see it like it shifts a veil because you feel very unseen. And all of a sudden you're like, no, so many people around are just like me. And we're all, you know, having a common thread, even though, as I said before, it's a different loss. It's a different relationship. We do relate to each other's pain. And you're in such a populated part of the country, right? Yeah. To feel so alone. Yeah. You know, Um, but thank goodness we have this technology that, you know, where we can start to connect For sure. with people. Um, but you said that all of that so beautifully, Tiffany, I, and I, are just like, I, I feel like you have such a gift to speak. Like, I, do you write at all? You would be a great writer. Like I, do. Author, but yeah. I do. Yeah. I do journal a lot. That's awesome. But I just wrote one chronicle in the compilation book that's going to be published in the fall. And my, Mine was about grief, you know, mm-hmm. and, and healing from the invisible ones. And it's not something you're going to heal from because it's not a disease that has a cure, but it's really about caring from that wounds on your heart and, mm-hmm. you know, learning to live with that scar that is invisible to everyone's eye. And I yeah. think this is where, you know, you want to talk about grief because mm-hmm. it's so invisible. And I remember I had that conversation with you on my life when 
I asked you about the name Portraits of Grief. And I told you that when I heard the name, I thought about those portraits that you see in the museum and how their story is invisible. Like when you go to a museum, you see a portrait, you have no idea who are these people, like unless there's someone famous. But, you know, sometimes you just see, you know, a, a portrait of, of, of someone. I don't know. Imagine a little girl, a woman or family. And you're like, who are they? What's their story? You know, what they have been mm -hmm. through. And you have all those questions and that's the invisible. And it just made me think about grief because we all have a story. We just don't have, you know, a name tag like, hi, my name is Patricia. I lost my mom. We just don't carry this with us. So it's so invisible that we need to talk about it so people can be more open about, about grief and, and death. Invisible is such a good word. I haven't really used that word before. That's such a good word, to, way to put it, yeah. you know, invisible. Yeah. So there's a great documentary. I think you can go on Instagram and it's called Spoken Grief. Uh-huh. I think they have a link where you can watch documentary. And it's so interesting because you have this scene where you see people walking the street. They're dressed normally. And then there's another scene where you have the same people, but they're actually wearing a T-shirt. And it say, hi, my name is, I don't know, Paul and I lost my wife. And hi, my name is Christina and I lost my son. I don't know, I'm just making up the name, but I mean, just imagine if you had this, you know, written on, on your t-shirt, how people would be, you know, compassionate with you because you cannot see someone or they would bring a t-shirt where it says, hi, my name is Christina, I lost my son and not have any compassion toward that person. Right. But it's just, it's so invisible because you're not wearing that name tag and you're not wearing that t-shirt that people have don't have compassion. They don't ask about yourself, right? And that's why it's invisible. And it's just like the portraits in the museum. So that's why when I, I heard the name Portraits of Grief, it just always reminded me of my art history background when you know we think about how painters, artists, you know, try to make the invisible visible. And how in grief, I think through podcasts, through books, through Instagram accounts, we also try to make the invisible visible because who knows, you know, what, what we're going through. You know, when you meet someone, you have no idea about their story. But if we were able to open up more vulnerably, it would just be a more compassionate world where, where people can, you know, could talk about their story. So Agreed. True. You're inspiring, Patricia. Just the way <laughs> you speak, you. I'm like, I could listen to you on a stage, you know. You, you have a you. really um, just to go just back compassionate to the way book. of talking about it. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So just to go back to the book, I, I did uh, write a chronicle that will be published in the fall. Uh-huh. Uh, I do write a lot. I don't know if one day I'll go into self-publishing or if I'll try to find an agent and publish a book, but I, I definitely, I mean, the quotes that I write on my page, except the one where I put the name of the person, they're usually quotes that I write. So I do have many, many of them. Maybe one day I'll publish them. I don't you know. Should. We'll see. I'll yeah. just, another one I jotted down, I'll just say it real quick that I loved. Love yourself so to give yourself permission to feel your emotions. So yeah. it's so important, you know, love yourself enough to let yourself feel how you feel. Don't be afraid. 
especially exactly. grief. Exactly. Because otherwise what you're going to do, you're going to put a mask on yourself and just put away the, put away the pain. It's going to come back. It's, you know, we're, we're so, we're, we're told since we're young that we have to put like this strong mask and, and not your emotions. But I think with all the conversation we're having, especially this year with COVID, with, you know, so many deaths and so many people grieving, I hope we will be able to take off the mask and just say how we feel and not being able to hide it. Because if you love yourself enough, then, you know, you would just be vulnerable about whatever feelings, you know. And when we're vulnerable, we're giving other people permission to be honest. Too. Of course. We're not yeah. being- then other people feel like they can't be honest. And then it's like, it has this trickle down effect. And as, as leaders, right. It's important Mm -hmm. that we go first. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, for sure. And I have joined this app now called clubhouse. I don't know if you've heard of, I've heard about about it. it. What is that? (laughs) I don't know what's the hype because I'm not famous (laughs) enough to have like a club with 10,000 people, but I feel like if it's a live podcast, like people create rooms and they just yeah. talk like we're talking right now, but uh-huh. they have, you know, hundreds or I don't know, thousands of, of people listening to them. And everyone can, you know, create their own rooms to have, it's a chat room, it's a live chat room. And I have a live chat room in a club every week and I call it, I called it permission to grieve because I think that if people like, you or like me, people on Instagram, you know, they give themselves their permission to talk about their grief. What we're doing, as you said, Thera, we're giving other people permission to talk about their grief. And I think that was, you know, one of the objective with the live is that we put two people, you know, just two people live talking about their experience. And then you see on the chat, on the comments, people start, you know, telling their story, asking question, because they feel like in that space, they do have the permission mm. to grieve and, and to share their experience. And it's exactly what you said there. It's really being vulnerable to give the other permission mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and open up. So well said. So where can our where can our listeners um, follow you and find you? Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, Your so my Instagram account is Nishama Journey. So it's N-E-S-H-A-M-A Journey. Nishama means soul in Hebrew. And for me, it was really about, you know, keeping the connection with my mom's soul forever because I really wanted to believe once once she passed that. You know, she was on her own journey in the afterlife. I was on my journey here, but I'm still very hopeful that those two souls can keep their connection. So that's where the name came from. It's the journey of the souls. So Neshama journey. So I'm on Instagram. And recently, like a month ago, I started that clubhouse. So on clubhouse, I'm also under Neshama journey. And the name of the club is permission to grieve. I have a chat room every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. But I think you have more chance to find me on Instagram where I have lives, you know, two, three times a week. 
I think it's more interactive. Like I'm able to, you know, have a real conversation with someone. People can see our faces. They can chat. They can ask questions. I like that format maybe more than the one on Clubhouse. And I also have a link in my bio on Instagram where I have all the recordings of the podcast that I've also recorded previously. So cool. this is where you can find me. Awesome. So go check her out, everyone. She's got some good resources and materials and <laughs> beautiful you. quotes. It's really beautiful. Like, just yeah. the color palette. It's very yeah. well done. Thank you so much. So as we wrap it up here, um, any last things? ladies or it's been wonderful having you Patricia thank you for just taking the time and speaking with us and talking truths and spreading light and hope about grief and loss really appreciate thank it you. and thank you for what you're doing because you know as I said previously at the beginning where I couldn't do anything but I still wanted to get out of bed because I thought that for me that was moving forward just to get out of bed was just already a big step I, I used to walk and listen to podcasts. So if anyone is, you know, listening to that episode, just keep on doing it. If you feel lonely, listen to a podcast. It's so helpful to, you know, have that perspective that someone else is also going through a loss, a grief, and just to get inspired by those stories. Wow. So thank you again, Patricia, for joining us today, Tara and I, for another episode of Portraits of Grief podcast. I definitely feel inspired just by listening to you uh, and your, your words about grief and loss and just speaking truth. So again, to our listeners, check out more of Patricia's inspiring words and her story and journey on Instagram at Neshama Journey. And you can follow us along as well at portraits underscore of underscore grief. Until next time, have a beautiful day, night, wherever you are. And we hope you're feeling a little bit more encouraged after listening to this episode. Talk soon. The music in this episode is courtesy of Zabslat. <laughs>